Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fish Nerds, a show about fish, fishing, and eating fish. Show it's always interesting, usually funny, and mostly true. I'm Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fish Nerd, Licensed Fishing Guide, and your best friend. And we're recording today's show live. We ever do a live show. We're recording the show in Boston today, just outside of Boston, Somerville, Massachusetts, at the new Staples Connect podcasting studio, which is why the sound probably sounds good. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And I have two guests on today. I got uh, Stephen Meter from Podcast New Hampshire, and I have Matthew Passy, who is the podcast consultant. Welcome to the show, boys. Thank you so much for having me today, Clay. All right, quick, you each get a 30-second pitch. What is Podcast New Hampshire, Stephen? All podcasts from New Hampshire in one place. Homegrown, homemade, listen free or die. Yeah, very redneck group now. But a bunch of good people in that group. <laughs> Amazing people. Yeah, and there's some really good New Hampshire podcasts. Give us um, give us a couple that you like besides A couple. Uh, yeah. WIDK is I Don't Know Radio. Love those guys. Uh, the Plunge just did a charity event. Huge, huge thing. Uh, those guys are doing great things. And of course, I mean, Fish Nerds, I have to mention them every time. The most prolific New England show that I can think of for sure. Probably we do we do we say yes to everything. That's why we're here today. Uh, <laughs> whatever it takes. Um, Matthew, you are the podcasting consultant, the podcast consultant. Yep, and it's thepodcastconsultant.com. That is correct. And I met you at. Uh, podcast conference in New Jersey, I think. Yeah, MapCon originally. MapCon. Now the Independent Podcast Conference. Which is, I think, a good name for it. It's a pretty solid name, yeah. Yeah, and I saw you at Podcast Movement after that. And so what is, what is, uh, what is, what do you do? What is the podcast consultant? I help others who want to podcast. So we help people launch, edit, produce, publish, promote podcasts. Um, Working with a ton of amazing clients all across the country, actually all around the world now. Um, and I consult with others who, if we're not even doing the production, we can just help you get your podcast on the right track. That's awesome. And, and you know, a lot of new podcasters really need that because those of us who've been doing it for years, muddled for years, trying to figure out that path. And we, once you get it, you're like, gosh, if I only could show someone else the easy way. Well, and even if you've been doing it for a long time, it changes a lot. So you got to stay up to date and uh, check out all the latest and greatest. It is a moving target. So today on the show, we are recording, like I said, live here at Staples Connect, but we're going to do our famous fish trivia today. We're going to do some fish in the news. Uh, we have John King, the crappie hippie with us. He'll be doing, he's not here with us. He's <laughs> sent us a segment uh, for the news. And also, I think if we have time, we're going to try to squeeze in a segment from uh, Doc Martin about why sharks are important. All right. So I think we're going to start off with the famous fish quiz. That'll help me get to know you guys a little bit better and where you're coming from. So, Matthew, you're from New Jersey. I am. Stephen, you're from New Hampshire. So that means you're both experts on illegal drugs. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I went to college. <laughs> so what I'm going to do is give you a little quiz here. And all you got to do is tell me, it's a multiple choice, which of these multiple choices is a drug? The other two will be fishing lure names. Okay. All so, right. So uh, Matthew, you're going to be up first. You ready okay. for this? I'm ready. All right. So the first one, uh, this is, this is uh, cur- a curly tail grub. Goofballs or Daredevil? Which one of those is the drug? Yeah. Bonus if you can name the drug. Goofballs? Uh, quaaludes? Uh, boof- goofballs is correct, but the, the drug is actually barbiturates, ah. which I don't know if a quaalude is or not. I think I, it might actually be. A, as uh, an expert, I'm going to trust you on that. Well, yes. I am from New Jersey, <laughs> as you stated. <laughs> the, the state food of New Jersey is goofballs. <laughs> All right. Stephen, <clears throat> uh, we have uh, mogies, sluggos, Swedish pimples. Man, uh, let's go mogies. Mogies. And yeah. in bonus, what is it? I have cocaine. Tranquilizers. That makes yep. more sense. Same. <laughs> Literally the opposite. Yeah. All right. So you're, you're one and one right now. Tie score. All right, Matthew, you ready for this? I'm ready. All right. Sanko, Deadly Dick, Red Devils. I got to say Red Devil? Bonus if you know what it is. No idea. It's a, it's a second all, which is a type of barbiturate. Oh. Yeah. Do you have some assumption about me and barbiturates? Because that's two for two on those. <laughs> this is just going back and forth. I, a just joking. Yeah. I might. You seem very mellow. You're like, oh, I'm from New Jersey, man. <laughs> Steven. Yes, sir. All right. Speedball. Beetle spin. Rattle trap. Let's go speedball. Speedball. You know that one, right? Yeah. That's what, it's Chris Farley. 
<laughs> yeah, cocaine and heroin mixed together. So mm-hmm. delightful. Bad idea. Mix. Yeah. Uppers and downers. Uppers I only and... took two of those this morning. Oh, good. That's how you got it. <laughs> two <laughs> you doses. Drove, if, with that, you got all the way from New Jersey to here in just three hours. Walking. <laughs> yeah, walking. <laughs> <laughs> all right. How about this one? Uh, whose turn is it? Steven? No. I no. Just... Matthew. Uh, pencil Popper, Little Cleo, Zigzag. Little Cleo. Little Cleo is a fishing lure. Uh, so yeah. all these that aren't drugs are fishing lures, just to be That's clear? right, yeah. Okay. Pencil popper? Uh, it is a zigzag, which is actually not really a drug. It's just a rolling paper for the drug. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 We, can, we can do the same. Uh, like next week, I'm doing our, we're doing our Valentine's show. I'm going to do the same quiz using sex toys and lures. Oh, man, for, I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> for the record, those are for tobacco use only. 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 Well, not in, Maine, not in Maine, Massachusetts, and Vermont, where it's now legal. <laughs> To, I, to smoke marijuana in those states. I'm living in the wrong state. Yeah. I live in, <laughs> we live in New Hampshire, and for some reason, our, our old crony government's like, live free or die, except when you want to do something fun. You know? So <laughs> if it's fun, it's wrong. All right. How about, is it Steven's turn? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So I, I've lost track of the score. So it doesn't even matter. That's yeah, fine. There's no, you guys get stickers either way. Um, Steven, uh, let's see. Flutterfish, Panther Martin, or Power Hitter? Um. Let's do Panther Martin. Panther Martin is a fishing lure. Oh, darn. Yeah, so the actual answer is power hitter, and it's a device used to deliver a blast of marijuana smoke right to your lungs. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Or tobacco exclusive, or depending on what to, state you're in. If you're in New Jersey, tobacco. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matthew. Rooster tail, dolphins, or spin oreno. Spin oreno. Uh, what was the first one again? Uh, rooster tail. Ah, uh, man. All of those actually sound like fishing lures. I'll go with the third one. The third Dolphins? Yeah. It is correct. You are correct. Ooh. And bonus, what kind of drug is it? Uh, I don't know. Ecstasy. Albacore. Ecstasy. Oh. Oh, Albacore. Oh. Albacore is a drug. <laughs> the ecstasy of the sea. Yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> the other white powder. <laughs> I have no response. All right, Steven. Uh, Ratlin Dave, Cartwheels or Grey Ghost? Um, Ratlin Dave, what the heck? Let's still go with that. It is Cartwheels. Oh, which interesting. Which is uh, amphetamine. Oh, okay. Yeah, as you know. Naturally. How Uh do you source this quiz? How do you get all these things? I've got to know. Well, fishing lures, you you go to like... Well, fishing lures is easy. I'm trying... Urban Dictionary? All you do is, yeah, you go to like Urban Dictionary Uh, and you look for like slang slang drug names. And then what I do is I pick the ones that look like they could be fishing lures. That's smart. And I'll do the same for next week for our sex quiz. We'll do... uh, (laughs) For our Valentine's special, we're going to do fishing lure versus sex toy. So that'll be a lot of fun. I came on the rug week. Uh, no, you, you, you'd be glad not to be part of that show. That's going to be really uncomfortable. I haven't secured a guest yet, but fair enough. Yeah. I picked the wrong day to quit podcasting. <laughs> All right. How about we do, um, uh, whose turn is it? Steven? Sure. Or Matthew. Matthew, I can't keep track. Yeah. What are you trying to do? Trying to jack my try, stuff? Yeah. yeah trying to steal your airwaves. He's jumping in. All right. Matthew. Uh, Royal Wolf. W-U-L-F-F, it's spelled. Is there a spook or a bombita? Uh, I'm going to go bombita. I assume if you have the right spelling of a drug, that's got to be something legit. <laughs> yeah, a bombita is a mixture of cocaine and heroin, so same as the uh, speedball from earlier. Ah, yes. So just a different name, so that way you can elude the cops. Speedball? No, it's bombita. <laughs> so, <laughs> meter? Yes. Husky jerk, Percy, or Gitzik? Um, oh, man, Percy. Percy, what is it? Um, it's, uh, alcohol with cocaine around the room. Just cocaine. Oh, well, you were close. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> alcohol that with was cocaine. a very specific guess, <laughs> yeah. by the way. Thank you. <laughs> it's like a dirty margarita. I was going to say, it's like, it's like a high margarita. Yeah. I've got to ask husky jerk sounds like actual food though. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. And it's just, it's a, it's called a jerk bait. So it's like a lure that floats in the water. And as you lure it, you jerk it. Oh, it, yeah. I'm learning so much today. Yeah. Also be a really great, we'll use that one next week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. How I wonder about, if people walking through the store could hear this, by the way, because I am seeing some faces. Uh, <laughs> I, that would be awesome. Hopefully, all of, them out. Out yeah. the- <laughs> all of them can hear it on iHeartRadio. Oh, God. Thanks. Good plug. They're not paying me, iHeart. <laughs> or wherever Clay wants you to listen. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think Staples would give me a gift card for this. So. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. How about uh, China White, Hot Shot, or Rat Fink? Hot Shot. Hot shot is a lure. And China White is a very pure white heroin. I might have to challenge this because I think hot shot is also a common drug. It like term, is. Yeah. But 
You're the judge. You're it the likely girls. is. It likely is. But house rules means I'm always right. I, like, actually, the, I like the challenge. <laughs> challenge. I'm going to have to call in uh, the management for here at, here at Staples. <laughs> Can we get a manager, please? Uh, is Deloitte <laughs> auditing this quiz? Because uh, I want legit results. We're going to know. What kind, of, what kind of drugs do you guys do in corporate? All right. How about uh, what last one? Okay. This is for the win. You, mm-hmm. get, you guys are tied up neck and neck. Neck and neck. <laughs> neck and neck. Neck and neck. You're like 11 to 6. Um, <laughs> but this one's worth all the points for meter, I think. Uh, we have Lefty Deceiver, Miss Emma, or Dahlberg Diver. Uh, Miss Emma. Miss Emma. And bonus, what is it? Ecstasy. Morphine. Well, kind of like the opposite. <laughs> but I like the confidence in which you said ecstasy. Well, I figured <laughs> Emma, like the E, and then that's the only E I could think of for drugs. Perfect. It's perfect. So that was our famous fish quiz, which we haven't done in a long time. We used to do these. We used to do fish quizzes every show, and we're bringing them back because I think they're really fun. And we I wrote love it. we wrote hundreds of these years ago, and we used a bunch of them on old shows that are no longer on the internet anymore. And so mm-hmm. I'm able to like now cherry pick some of the some of the good stuff. At Alukai, we handcraft Hawaii-inspired footwear, finding inspiration at Hawaiian culture and craftsmanship. Fishing is at the heart of Hawaiian culture today, just as it's been for centuries. Generations of fishermen and women expertly cast from rocky shorelines to sandy beaches. They spear shift, throw nets, fly fish, and navigate their boats beyond the reef into the deep blue in search of their next big catch. No matter how they do it, there's an attention to detail and respect for the ocean and guides, and guides their passion. At Alukai, they believe in the same attention to detail when crafting the highest quality shoes and sandals built for every type of marine environment. Alukai's water-friendly Nohia Moku slip-on shoe features razor spring with non-marking rubber for extra grip on the deck, the dock, and the rocks. It's designed for easy on-off barefoot wear. And when it comes to sandals that perform, Alukai's new Uleli provides the comfort and durability of a sneaker for those long days on the boat on the sh- and on the shore. And I am uh, excited about this because this is our new sponsor. They're going to sponsor us for the next three months. Wow. And months. it's great. And they're mailing us shoes. So hopefully on next week's show, I will be wearing the shoes and talking about how they make my feet feel. My wife's getting a pair too, so she's thrilled. And uh, my... My business partner, Vinny, who, my fishing partner, he already wears this brand shoes and loves them. And we'll put links up uh, at fishners.com to uh, lukai.com so you can find out where you can get your very comfortable Hawaiian shoes. Spell out that address for everyone. I will. O-L-U-K-A-I.com. And that's why it's really important to look at our show notes for that link because if you forget the spelling, clicking on it, it's going to be way, way easier. And we really appreciate their sponsorship of this podcast. Um, this is actually my first big ad sell, and I'm really excited about partnering with this company. I've been offered other companies who I don't like at all. Like, we want to sell, like, bath fitters and that sort of thing. And I'm like, nope, Matt, can't do it. <laughs> so I'm excited about this. Congratulations. Thank you. We are so excited because Alyssa Meckel is here with us on the Fish Nerds podcast, and she is a category merchant or something for staples. Welcome <laughs> welcome to the Fish Nerds. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So tell us, so, so we're here today because of the brand new podcasting space at Staples here at, in, uh, what are we at? In, um, we're in Massachusetts. Somerville. Somerville. I'm lost. I got up three o'clock this morning to get here. <laughs> so why, why does, why does uh, Staples think podcasting is the place to be right now? Yeah. So our new Staples Connect stores really uh, revolve around community. And so podcasting, we felt that the industry right now, it's, it's obviously growing and it's growing rapidly on the content side, but no one's really looking at the podcaster and how, how to help the podcaster execute their podcast. So we felt there was an opportunity on the execution side. So that's why we wanted to create a beautiful, high quality, standardized uh, recording facility. And now we have seven locations in Massachusetts. And that's exciting. Is, now, is Massachusetts the only place that Staples is doing this podcasting rollout? Are you so you're practicing here and then you see how it goes and go elsewhere? It's the latter. Uh, we do have plans to go into Manhattan mm-hmm. uh, later this year. Um, and of course, like you said, we'll observe for a period of time, but we have 1,100 locations nationwide. And our idea is to create this consistent network of uh, great equipment and great acoustic treatments and just a great place to bring a community in to record their their voice. Well, we're excited to be here. Thank you so much for uh, telling us all about it. And one more quick thing. So you got iHeartRadio as one of your partners in this. Yes. Tell us about how you chose to use the Rode um, mixing board here. This is the 
I know. This is so pretty. <laughs> I know. It's a, there's a lot of shiny buttons on yeah. there. Um, so we partnered with iHeartRadio to bring you this amazing space. And when you think of Staples, you're not thinking of podcasting. So we needed someone who was well-versed in the industry to help guide us on the latest equipment and the latest acoustic treatments. And ultimately, uh, we do have hosting and editing partners as well. And when you use that ecosystem, uh, it kind of flags you as a Staples customer and you kind of get this like golden ticket uh, to get onto iHeart's platform. So it's an entire ecosystem that we built. Well, good. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. All right. Have a good day. <laughs> Perfect. News, news, fish in the news. Everybody loves their fish in the news. I can go first since... I only have one good story and one's a good one. You've probably talked about it, but actually driving up here to Boston, I was listening to another podcast How and I know, <laughs> I know I, I ran out of fish nerds episodes on my way up here. There you go. It's uh, a long drive. <laughs> 200, 236 shows. You did them all. Yeah, no, it was, it was a long drive. Um, well, you know, and I walked all the way up here too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uphill both ways. Uh, and they, they referenced this story about a shark that can walk on land. Oh, I heard about this. I have not done this story yet. It was on my radar though. Ooh. Yeah. So it's the uh, Epilot, Epilot sharks. Um, and I guess they live in very like shallow ecosystems. And yeah, they can do a little bit of like, uh, you know, land shimmering, I guess is how they best describe it. It's not like it's, it's not like the old SNL skit where they're on two feet and they're walking and going land shark. Like it's not like that. Right now. Do in, when you were hearing about this, do they come out and hunt? What's the purpose of coming out of the water? What's the advantage? Uh, probably to listen to podcasts. Audio um, below the water is a little rough. Not work well. You know, audio does carry with sharks. Not sharks, uh, whales and stuff could probably make a podcast. That's true. They probably could. They probably could. So sharks that walk on land—that's a new thing. Uh, yeah, this is, I guess, a new thing that researchers discovered. Although, Australia, right? That sounds right. Yep. Anything in Australia that can kill you—that'll <laughs> <laughs> get you. Yeah, I mean, everything down there is deadly. <laughs> Uh, and that whole country scares me. So, but yeah, it was. I mean, it was like it was a throwaway joke. But you know, it's one of those news trivia shows, and so yeah, it was like, what was the latest thing that he that sharks can do? You heard it. On, wait, wait, don't tell me. Yes, I did. I, that, How did you that's, know? That's, <laughs> that's where I heard it too. Wow, calls it out by name. That's yeah. beautiful. I yeah. wasn't going to promote another podcast on your show, but yes, it was. Wait, wait, don't that's tell. One me. of my favorite shows. I love it. It's so good. Uh, yeah, so there's a couple of impressive evolutionary ad adaptations at work. The first is the ability to walk. The environments. Appalet, yeah, Appalet sharks inhabit our complex, shallow, obstacle-filled coral reef systems, and so they can navigate the, the, the advantages. They come out of water to get over those reefs to a hunting ground, so that's why it helps them get out of water. So, so they're just trying to avoid the traffic. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, there's a big fishing derby in New Hampshire this weekend, and I was talking to a reporter from the New York Times yesterday about it, and he goes, do you go to the derby? I'm like, I'm like, no, it's too crowded. He goes, yeah, classic answer. It's too crowded, so nobody goes to it. <laughs> so, <laughs> same with the sharks here. All right, Meter, you're up. What you bring us? Um, I brought something that's a little more novelty, actually. It's, uh, there's a new species of beta that they've, uh, they've concocted that's fluorescent. Man-made fish? Yes, Man absolutely. I, I, I would love you guys' opinions on stuff like this, where they're, they're taking the genome and actually splicing it in with fluorescence that thing can glow in the dark and, and actually give off a shine. Right, and so for people who don't know, the beta fish is like that fish you see that you— Go to the pest where they come in little bowls. The males, if you put them together, they will destroy each other. And like this decorative fish. And I think in some countries, they wear them around their neck uh, until they die. And then they get new ones for pets. Um, as far as that goes, the, the, I don't know. What, what did you? What did the story say? Uh, about the ethical implications? No, about what did they have? They create this fish. Oh, um, that they, they're actually, they splice in genes to actually, so that when the, the fish will actually like glow a green. Yeah, so, um, those, so beta fish, as you see them in the aquariums, probably don't exist in nature anyway. Think mm -hmm. about your pet dog or a cow or anything else. So if they're not hurting the fish when they do this, I don't mm -hmm. know if I care. I want to go back. Pet cows? Your pet cow. Oh. Yeah. Do you have a pet cow? No. Okay. I, I, I have pet chickens and turkeys. That's fair. <laughs> and, they don't, and, and those animals, the ones I have, don't exist in nature the same but way do they do. glow i was just gonna ask this I, I had a kind of a fluorescent bird once yeah this oh, by the way enough. this fish sounds like it was developed by like spencer so they could sell them in the store with the black light posters that's all it's for well and that's you're actually not wrong that's that's the only reason to do this and people who collect fish 
really get excited about this. And we did a story last year about the Arapaima, which is the most expensive aquarium fish, and they sell for millions of dollars. And people will have plastic surgery done these fish to make them look the way they want them to look. So it's not out of the question, but I think that I think that ethically, mm-hmm. I don't know how I feel about it because I, you know, I catch fish. So, really hard for someone who fishes to talk ethics on fish handling, mm-hmm. right? Because I drop a line in the water with a bait on it. When the fish eats it, I cram a piece of metal through their face, pull them out of the water, take a picture, kiss them, and put them back in the water again. That's not nice. Mm-hmm. So I, maybe I'm not the best person to talk ethics. <laughs> well, I mean, you are putting them back. So is is that for ethical reasons? I, it's Well, not well, it's probably – yeah, I don't know. I don't. If I think too deeply about it, I'll never fish again. <laughs> okay, so. fair enough. <laughs> but but right, like, can you can you take a picture of it without you know jamming a hole through their mouth? Is is the I think the thing that like gives you pause. So last year I had a guy. Two years ago, a guy on the show had a Kickstarter coming out, and it was a fishing hook that was spring loaded that pinched the fish's mouth. Oh. So when the fish bit it, it would clamp down on the fish's mouth, and you could reel it in without ever penetrating the skin of the fish. Huh. That would be a game changer. It would be, except for no one funded it. Well, that's <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not sure it worked, but it was a good idea. I think uh, it was a teenage kid just came up with a cool, interesting idea. Well, I you see. I guess I what I don't understand is if if it pinches the mouth closed, I feel like fish could easily get away from that. What it would probably have to do is when the fish's mouth closes on it, it expands and sort of like, you know. Expands out so like the ma- so it can't get out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like a reverse umbrella, so that the fish can't get over it and get out of it, and then you can pull them up. I mean, it probably still is not the most comfortable experience for the fish, but no. And well, you know, some people when they're fishing for some fish, they won't use hooks. They'll use like a piece of frayed rope, and they'll dip that in like fish scent fish oil. And some of the fishes have these teeth that kind of curve back when they bite it. Their teeth tangle in the rope. Oh, and so that that's effective as well for some species. Eel fishing can be done that way. You know, I, it's not exactly a fish story, but this whole glow-in-the-dark fish got me thinking about uh, something that I saw on Facebook the other day. People who are taking old Star Wars toys and they are turning their aquariums into scenes from the movie. So the one that I saw was like, you know, I it's supposed to look so like much. Hoth, right? Like an AT-AT, like on the ground as if it was just got tripped up by the uh, rebels. And then, you know, an X-Wing fighter, like on a little stand. And so, yeah, they're building their fish tanks to look like scenes out of Star Wars. Uh, they're also doing it with um, reptilian cages. So you have like a good Dagobah, you know, oh. system with just a little bit of water and an X-Wing under there kind of a thing. So I am so in on that. That, that is so nerdy. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of thing that makes me think maybe I could get my kids a fish tank at some point. You will because it's Star Wars. Oh yeah, absolutely. But yeah. just, I mean, not even Star Wars. You can do this with a lot of different things. Sure. But you know, that was the, that was how it came into my ecosystem. Right. That matched your, your nerd brain. So, right. So now match up a cool movie scene fish tank. Mm-hmm. With a glow-in-the-dark fish, Ooh. and you could be doing some really cool stuff. Oh, let's do it. You're, yeah. So, Meter, get on it. All right. I'm on <laughs> it. I'm going to write that down. So, ethically, so back to your question. Ethically, mm-hmm. how do I feel about it? If they're not putting that fish in the wild, mm-hmm. and it's just for aquarium use, and they're not hurting the fish, the gene splicing happens you know, at, the, at a tiny level, usually mm-hmm. in, at the egg. I don't know if I care. Well, fair enough. Yeah, although I, I'd be interested to see what listeners think. So if they want to call 607-378-FISH and tell us what you think. Tell me how wrong I am. I'd love to hear it. Well, and how many times did they have to try it until they got it right? Right. It was a, yeah, is, mm. it, is, it, is that experiment level dangerous to right. the fishes? But again, any, I, I have a problem with keeping a fish in a tiny jar for its whole life and not letting it swim. You know, like, I mean, to me, like a big fish tank makes sense. A tiny little goblet doesn't make sense for quality of fish life. Although, do the fish care? I don't know. I don't know. But they yeah. haven't called into the show, so we yes. know they're not complaining that loud. <laughs> I know they're they're not very talkative. Those fish. That's a good story. I, I have I have some I have some fish in the news also. Everybody All right, is. this is from sciencealert.com. and the headline is: These fish can create entirely new species when they have sex. Okay, so this is similar. Yeah. To your story, <laughs> When humans choose the wrong mate, it can end in divorce. When uh, cichlids choose the wrong mate, it can fuel the development of a whole new species. This is not a bad outcome for what's usually an unfortunate mistake, and it's one of the main reasons this colorful little fish is so exceptionally diverse, coming in a whole range of bright pattern shapes and sizes. Usually found in freshwater lakes of Africa, cichlids have a habit of flopping into bed with the wrong partner. 
I used to have that habit. And, <laughs> uh, when the waters are murky and the details are fuzzy, the females can accidentally introduce a new gene into the population. A decade-long study on Lake Murray in, on the Congo has found, uh, this is a quote, this could have been because when the lake formed, the water was very cloudy and they couldn't see the colors properly. And so the females were not being as choosy as they might otherwise have been. Uh, mating between cichlids from different drainage systems produce very diverse offspring, combining genetic traits of both parents and creating brand new species. And this begs the question of like, what is a species? Have you guys mm. thought about that at all? Do you know what species is? I, I have not, no. Yeah, so so there's a lot of scientists debate this all the time. And when I taught science, I would teach kids, you know, I would kind of simplify it. So like when a species is an animal that can reproduce with itself, its own kind and have babies, right? Mm -hmm. So if, if two horses mate and they have a baby, mm -hmm. that's the same species of animal, right? If a horse and a um, donkey mate, mm -hmm. they get a mule, mm -hmm. and that baby can't reproduce. That is not a species, right? Interesting. So, and then, so that's one way. So you have this, and, and that horses can't reproduce, reproduce with other animals to make new animals. So that's that species, right? Mm -hmm. And then you can, so they're di they're, those animals are separated genetically because they can't reproduce, reproduce with other animals. Mm -hmm. And then you have other ones that are separated geographically. So you have like some, like polar bears and and, and brown bears are the same animal, genetically identical. Really? Yep. The difference is where they live. So they never reproduce together, even though theoretically they could, but they're, ge they're separated geographically. I see. So that's speciation. So even though they're, if you look at their DNA, they're nearly the same animal. So now did this say that the reason that this, this was happening was because the wa water was too murky, so they couldn't like see the difference? Well, yeah, and that's what they're saying. But I'm trying to find out if they're talking about species or diversity. Are you implying the that same. Like, it was dark in the club and there was a lot of I'm smoke? Exactly. And Dude, I'm <laughs> implying exactly that. <laughs> so, yeah. so you're saying that maybe this isn't a different species. It's just diversity within the same species. Right. So the article says the rapid case of evolution has produced many distinct species that are genetically compatible, meaning they can produce viable and fertile hybrid offspring. As a result, some researchers argue that hybridization is what has led to such great. So, so I, I'm with this. I don't think it's. I don't think it's new species. I think it's just hybridization. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and maybe I'm simplifying it, but it sounds like that would be implying if someone from America and someone from China mated, that they're creating a new species just right. because of their geographical right. origins. Yeah, and so I think that's questionable whether it's a species or not. And be like, imagine like I have a, I have a dog and she's a. She's a cattle dog, and if she mates with a St. Bernard, their baby is not a new species. It's a different kind of dog. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, a, it's just a diverse or it's a different maybe breed, mm. you know. And with humans, you think race maybe. But I don't think different species. I think it's a weird kind of mm. a I weird mean, way to go. Yeah, so, so you're saying that's like just a different breed of fish. I think breed yeah. is, is a better use of words than species. Um, again, we have uh, Doc Martin, who's our resident biologist on the show. She's got a PhD in cichlids, and I'd be interested to see what she thinks of this. Is that her actual name, Doc Martin? Yeah. No relations to the shoes, right? Well, we always sing it. Dr. Martin's, Dr. Martin's, Dr. Martin's boots. <laughs> Not spelled the same way either, but okay. she's a professor at the uh, um, University of uh, of Kansas Emporia State University. So, okay. yeah. Wow. yeah, she's been with the show for six and a half years. And then we've been doing the show seven years. Very cool. We From the start. We never pay her. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not what you lead with, but. <laughs> well, we don't, none of us get, I don't get paid either. So it <laughs> works Fair out enough. good. All right, one more story, and this is from Manga Bay, one of our fun news partners. Uh, just like terrorists, Indonesia boosts vigilance for blast fishers. In is this Fishing with like dynamite? This is fishing with dynamite. You, from the title, you got it. You got it. From Kuta, Indonesia, in the weeks before last Christmas, Marine authorities in eastern Indonesia reported separate arrests for locals using explosives to catch fish. The arrest uh, highlighted what observers say is a routine increase in blast fishing across the archipelago ahead of a long public holiday. So that's what's going on right now out there. Don't do that. <laughs> now the concussion in water when when there's an explosion is that not more dense because of the nature of water? I like the way you asked that question. Very sciencey. Uh, yeah. So the, the, it, uh, that shock wave goes out and it affects more. It, it doesn't just affect the fish you're targeting. Mm. It affects everything. Mm. And, 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 well, on a, well, on a completely separate note, I've got to wonder like what does 
explosive residue filling up the water due to the, you know, the food chain in general, right? Because the fish that you're not necessarily getting killed or concussed with this dynamite are still out there, you know, filtering water through their gills and whatnot, picking up TNT, essentially powder, like all sorts of explosives. Like what is that going to do to the food chain? What's that doing to the folks who then wind up eating those later down the road? Oh, it, it's, it's fishing is such a terrible industry in so many ways. And it's just one example of that. And I think you're right in the money like that, like we don't even think about those particular matter that's going to float down into the, into the food chain and into the gills and of the fish. It's crazy. And now in, in the story reminded me in Vermont, the only place in the country where you can legally shoot a fish with a shotgun is Lake Champlain of Vermont. And <laughs> this was, a, <laughs> why? You, well, <laughs> I actually want to do it because I just, because you can. Uh, so <laughs> There's, there's but let's about, go back to the ethics before. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, it, and the way that works is when you go hunting for fish with a gun, you're not actually shooting the fish. You're shooting the water. Mm. And the shockwave knocks the fish out, and then you run out and pick the fish up out of the water and eat it. Interesting. Yeah. Is that buckshot or birdshot? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I don't know. Fair enough. I don't know. But hopefully not lead. <laughs> hopefully because, not Because lead, lead is awful for, for the environment. And for your teeth. And for your teeth <laughs> and for your, and it's neurotoxin, so really bad for your brain. So do they not make uh, sinkers out of lead anymore? It, well, they do make them because most of the, here's the problem. So fisher people, mostly, I'm going to say fisher men because this, this is important. Fisher men are stubborn rednecks <laughs> who won't change for anything, right? Uh-huh. So we have this like cold, dead hand mentality. So in New Hampshire, lead sinkers are outlawed under one ounce. Okay. And they outlawed them because... Uh, Birds like loons will scoop up gravel and they will swallow the lead and it will get in their bodies. And one little tiny fleck of lead will kill a loon. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing, you can, even if you catch him eating it, as soon as he's in his body, that, we know that loon's going to die. Mm-hmm. And we know this to be fact. Not to mention all the other animals that eat throughout the food chain who lead affects. And so New Hampshire outlawed lead a long, you know, quite a while back. In Maine, they tried to do that, and the uh, the fishers were like, no, nah, you can't get there from here. Well, well, I don't know. I'm going to fish my lead and smoke my dope. And so in Maine, they said, well, what if we paint, painted the lead jigs? Then, then that so the would birds eat them. So the birds and the lead won't leak through the paint, and the birds will be fine. So well, the law in, in Maine is the lead has to be painted. Wait, is, is the thought process there that the bird won't eat it because of its color or that the one little layer of paint around it will protect the bird from the lead. It's a ladder. It's what you just said. Yeah. That seems absurd. Yeah. And I've been, that's not how digestion works. No, it's not, especially in a bird who has a gizzard who they eat gravel to grind things up, but that's going to bang on that paint and grind that paint right off. So it's, it's really dumb. And I was in a sports shop up at Moosehead Lake, Maine, trying to find non-lead jigs to go fishing. And it's run by a bunch of fishing guides and, I, I, I would I would hope anyone who's a licensed guide would have a higher level of ethics than your average redneck, mm-hmm. and they did not. Okay. They didn't. They when I brought it up, they were all like, "Oh, that's just the uh, the tungsten industry trying to come in here and make us pay money for more fishing bait and you know, like watch du- out for that big tungsten big money, <laughs> the, tung- <laughs> the tungsten lobby." <laughs> I, I still want to go back. So, why is it only this one spot? You said Lake Champlain in Vermont, mm-hmm. where you're allowed to do this. Like, what's the what, what's the thinking there? Well, that's a great question. I, I don't know. Uh, that's okay. That's I, it's by Remington. It, 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 <laughs> it, may be, it may be just go back to old culture. You know, it's been something. They, so in that lake, it's about nine species of fish that you can do it with. Things like northern pike, channel catfish, pickerel, brown bullhead, a few others. Are we still picking drugs versus lures? <laughs> yeah, same thing, right? <laughs> so, and I don't know. And I don't know that anyone actually does it. I found old articles about it, but I haven't found anything recent about people doing it. Mm. Um, I think it's... Terrible, but so I kind of want to do it. You can only hunt specific breeds of fish or species, species of, of fish. fish. And that's normal. Like fishing, lo- one, <laughs> fishing, fishing laws are like that anyway, mm. where each fish has their own regulation. So it's very, very complicated to begin with. And I can't imagine like now you're, you're in a tree dangling over a lake with a shotgun. And you're like, is that a common <laughs> carp or an Asian carp? I got to get you my know, fish like, blind. Yeah. Is that a channel catfish or is that a brown bullhead? You yeah. know? I assume they don't have labels on them to make this easy, right? I know. There's an app. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, right, right, of course. There's always Google, an app. Google yeah. Glass when that drops. It's <laughs> yeah, like the, like, the, like the map finder apps. You hold your camera up to the lake and it shows you all the little fishes on there. So. You know what? That's a million dollar idea. <laughs> it's a really good. It's a billion dollar idea. That's all a right. really good idea. Clint. Well, shit. 
<laughs> TM, 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 TM. Now tens of people have heard it. <laughs> All right. So that's fish in the news. And we're going to bring you one more story from John King. And this is a, a reprise story that he did during National Podcast Posting Month where we did a we did 30 days of, of Fish in the News on this show. Mm-hmm. And those I took those all off. I pulled them all down after that was over so I could recycle them into future shows. For those who weren't subscribed, you never heard this. Mm-hmm. And so now you're going to hear this one. And I want you to listen close to John King's. He's the crappie hippie from eastern Kansas. He does this great um, British accent, and it's tremendous. And I challenge any listener to do better. <laughs> I'm not going to play it for you because... I don't know how to reason. All right. <laughs> here's, here's John King, the crappie hippie. Feel free to chime in, boys. Hello, Fish Nerd Nation. This is Crappie Hippie, your tree-hugging redneck <laughs> from eastern Kansas and co-founder of Glasswater Angling. We make lead-free fishing tackle for a better outdoors. Hey, I got a fun little story here from November 24th, 2019, fresh out of England about a load of frozen fish that came into New Haven Port in East Sussex with a little extra on board. All right, I don't know how many of y'all listened to episode 219. Uh, we talk about eels, not only about... I'm going to pause this for a second. So if you don't know John King, John King is like the super podcast Fish Nerds fan, and he's on the show because he listens to our show, and he, when he, he'll text me, he'll say... Clay, remember in episode 72 when you said this, John is that kind of fish nerd fan. Great guy, and we love listeners just like him. So that's why he's now a correspondent for the podcast. We brought him on. About how some guy stuck an eel up his butt to cure his constipation, but also how eels in the Thames (laughs) River in England are getting contaminated with cocaine residue from all the partying going on, and the people uh, pee it out, and apparently it gets through the treatment plant and into the river, and unfortunately into the eels. Well, in that vein, uh, I have a story here about where that problem originates. Okay, so here's how the story reads. A driver has been charged after 10 million pounds, that's British pounds sterling, worth of cocaine was found hidden in a load of frozen fish. The haul was discovered in the back of a refrigerated van when the vehicle was searched as it came off a ferry at New Haven Port in East Sussex in the early hours of Saturday morning. Officers found 97 packages, each containing approximately one kilogram of cocaine. So that's about 200 pounds of coke, people. Kilograms, 2.2 pounds. Uh, James Satterley, 50 from Cook. Was that? I assume these are definitely like even kilograms. I feel like drug <laughs> distributors do not mess around with this about one kilogram. Like those are a kilogram. Like, kil- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those are exact. Well, maybe they were sampling. Oh, maybe. Yeah. yeah. That's what they found <laughs> when they got busted. That's what the fish are eating. Yeah. The fish are eating. Yeah. Ham Maidenhead has been charged with importing class A drugs. So they got the truck driver, and I think they have the big boys online, too. I guess they've been up to this for a while. And what put them on to it was the testimony of different witnesses who had gotten into buying fish straight from the wharf in New Haven. So here we have with Polly Podmore talking about her family's experience <laughs> buying fresh fish right from the wharf in East Sussex, England. Polly. So I goes and buys this fish, see, right off the So your correspondent has right a correspondent. Yeah. And I get the crate of fish home, and whoa, look, a nice crate of frozen fish with a gigantic batter packet in there. It had the coating mix right in the package. Now, I'm not sure if I like the flavor that much, a little medicine-y, but by golly, my fish and chips have never been more popular. Have they, love? Dear me, no, they're just absolutely wonderful. <laughs> I actually don't feel like eating after the first one, but I just can't stop eating them. <laughs> Fortunately, by the second one, your mouth is so numb that you can just eat them straight out the fryer. Whoa! That's the nicest bit of third-degree burn to wake up to. I've had in a long time. Oh, my goodness, Neville! You're just <laughs> scraping the coating off the outside of the fish and stuffing it up your nose! Why on earth are you doing that? I can't help it, Mommy. It's just wonderful. It's warm and inviting, and it just feels good. Well, I can't go through my entire dinner watching that hang out of your nose onto your face. Go in the other room. Anyway, this has been Polly Podmore talking about buying fish at New Haven Wharf in East Sussex, England. Get down there while the free bag of coating mix is still available. Well, thank you for that report, Polly. And so here we are with another cocaine in the fish story 
from the United Kingdom. This has been Crappie Hippie, your tree-hugging redneck, saying tight lines and valentines. And don't you all be snorting no fish on me on your trip to England now. Peace out. Every every podcaster can use listeners like John King, the crappie hippie. I mean, <laughs> he just brings it every time. What a hero. News, news, fish in the news. Everybody loves their fish in the news. All right. So now, next up on the show, we're going to bring in Doc Martin, who is going to tell us, using some science, why sharks are important. I'm going to decide have you heard yet, so I have to edit. My name is Dr. David Schiffman. I am a postdoctoral researcher at Arizona State University, uh, though I'm based in Washington, D.C., where I also run an environmental and scientific consulting firm. Uh, I also do a lot of public science engagements, uh, blogging, writing for the popular press, I'm just talking about sharks whenever I can. So glad to be here with you today. You have a couple of really big movements, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but one is to not only just learn about sharks and kind of appreciate what they're doing and get all the information you can, but also to combat misinformation. Yes, absolutely. And so you do that in a couple of different ways. You, you briefly mentioned that you, you write articles for, I think I've seen Scientific American and some different blogs and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So can you kind of explain a few of those and maybe talk about some of your recent publications? Sure. Uh, I do a lot of freelance writing uh, for popular press outlets. I've written for the Washington Post's uh, science page um, and environment pages. I write for Scientific American. I write for Gizmodo. Uh, I used to write for Slate a lot. Uh, and now I have a monthly column in Scuba Diving Magazine, as well as a write-in Ask a Marine Biologist advice column in Sport Diver Magazine. Uh, I've written a little over 100 of these popular press articles, as well as probably close to 1,000 blog posts. Uh, And I'm also very active on social media and I love doing um, interviews like this. Awesome. So um, one of the, well, you do a couple of these, I I think some, some top 10 shark facts that you haven't Mm -hmm. already heard. So before we get into that, why did you think it was important to do something to, to title it in that way? I guess. I, it's, so this particular article was for uh, my scuba diving magazine column. And the premise of it was there's a million articles that go viral every few weeks on social media that are amazing facts about the ocean that you haven't already heard or something like that. And I knew them when I was five. And a lot of my social media fans that are ocean obsessed like me knew when they were five and not even just people who have PhDs in marine biology, but people who are just like generally aware that the ocean exists would know these things. (laughs) Okay, so so not exciting facts. (laughs) Yeah, not particularly exciting facts. Gotcha. Uh, there are actual new and interesting facts that most people don't know that I, as a scientific expert, am in the position to know. Uh, and I think it's cool to share them. And I love people getting excited by actual, real, new, cool, important information. And not just, did you know that bull sharks can go in rivers? So so they can, though. That's t- kind of true, but... Yeah, bull sharks can, but the bull sharks are not the only species of shark that can enter fresh water, and we've known that for a century. Anytime you hear, anytime you see bull sharks on, like, a Shark Week show, mm-hmm. they say bull sharks are the only species of shark that can enter fresh water, and it's not true. Why do you um, think that that... Because I've heard that, too. I, I see that all the time on all the time. documentaries and stuff. Yeah. Why, where did that come from? Shark Week. A lot of the specific, uh, I, I, I trace, or a lot of the work that I'm doing now is tracing how information related to sharks travels through different information pathways to concerned members of the public, to policymakers, to environmental communities, with the goal of improving science education to those groups. That uh, sounds um, awesome. I have a it is, pretty good idea of how much, yeah, that's a lot of work. A lot of it comes to Shark Week. They have been just mm-hmm. an enormous force for putting information out into the world. And they could have it could have been such a force for good if only they cared at all if the information they were putting out was true. And a lot of the stuff, uh, uh, it, it, they, they have, to their credit, stopped doing actual made-up, completely fake, fictional things that they present as real. I've, so I don't watch Shark Week because oh, I tried once and yeah. it was just so, it was, yeah, now it's, I don't, now I'm not a shark neat. expert, but yeah, it's yeah. just, you grind your it teeth and pull your hair out. <laughs> uh, that now it's just lazy stuff. Like that's a black tip shark. They can get up to 17 feet long and they eat so-and-so. No, they can't. No, they don't. And also that's not a black tip shark. 
Wow, it's so really just basic information. Basic facts. There are there are fourteen species of hammerhead sharks in the world. No, there are not. I mean, (laughs) like not not differences of opinion. Uh, So there's a lot of stuff that can be traced back to Shark Week. Uh, There's also a lot. There's a lot of sharks in popular culture type stuff. A lot of fear of sharks can be traced back to Jaws. Um, yeah, so I actually do a science on the silver screen class mm-hmm. here at the university. And so we watch Fun. different science movies and we talk about uh, their impact and whether the science was good or bad or not. And Jaws was one that we did last year. And yeah. we talked about the the fear that that really did to a, yeah. a large population for a really long time. There is something in the public policy literature called the Jaws effect mm-hmm. uh, in which in the wake of shark bites or something like that, a local level public official wants to be seen as doing something, even if what they are doing isn't useful because they don't want to be seen as Mayor Larry Vaughn from Jaws who just pretended there wasn't a problem and did nothing. Uh, And that has led to the deaths of threatened species, uh, as well as not making the beaches safer for humans because people don't want to be seen as a specific fictional character from a movie. It's a, there, there is not like other movies don't have that level of effect on how people perceive things other than like when, if you ask someone to picture a dinosaur, they picture Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. even though we know that's not what dinosaurs look like. Um, other than that, you'd, you'd be hard pressed to name five movies that have had that level of impact on public understanding of a scientific issue. Oh um, yeah. There, mm-hmm. So it's really remarkable the extent to which Jaws has had that impact. But in terms of specific factoids that get quoted over and over again that are wrong, a lot of them came from Shark Week. Uh, there's also a, a very high-profile um, environmental documentary a few years ago that is responsible for a lot of the uh, wrong pieces of information that regularly make me pull my few remaining hairs out. Uh, but other, and then there's every once in a while I, I, a new factoid enters the discourse, and it takes me a while to track it down, and it's usually from a handful of people or groups hmm. that have not a great record of saying true things. And so, so you do actually try to combat that misinformation. And um, I know based on your Facebook post, since I follow you, sometimes that goes well and sometimes it doesn't. So what are a few instances that have gone well? Can you think of a few instances that haven't gone so well? I have in my 10 and a half years on Twitter, in which I've interacted with thousands of people answering their questions about sharks, had the encounter where I've said, actually, that's not correct what you're saying. Uh, here's what the correct information relative to this is, and had the person say, oh, thanks, I didn't know that, you're an expert, thank you, I learned something today. I have had that happen one time. Oh my God. And people didn't (laughs) believe me. My fellow online science communicators didn't believe me that it happened. I had to go back and find screenshots. Just once? Uh, One time. So it is much more common to have people say, you're being an elitist and discouraging me from trying to help, and trying to help is great, but it's not the same thing as helping. And technical problems require some degree of technical knowledge to solve, which does not mean that people can't do anything, but it means a a person who watches a shark conservation documentary should not, and that's their first ever exposure to the issue, is not an expert who should be founding their own organizations and giving press releases. They don't know anything about the problem. They don't know anything about the different available solutions. They don't know anything about the process of policy change. So what why not volunteer to help an existing nonprofit rather than be the president of the South Bend, Indiana, Save the Sharks Club or whatever? Hey, that's actually where I'm from. Yeah. <laughs> really near there. <laughs> that's funny. Um, but anyway, so it sounds like a lot of people maybe have really good intentions. Yes. Um, but as they say, you know, but the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Yes. So it sounds like maybe if you really want to do something like that and you saw the documentary and you want to help save sharks to find someone, you know, like you or like me or, or already established, well-known uh, not-for-profit or something else where you can get involved there um, and you will have access to the right kind of education and yes. information. Yeah. There are, lo- there are lots of great environmental nonprofits that employ experts that have track records of getting actual data, data-driven success uh, that need your help. And when you found your own organization, when you have no experience or credentials or knowledge, you are at best diluting the, the pool of information out there and taking sources away from them. And at worst, you are actively competing with these groups 
that are actually have a chance of doing something good when you don't. Uh, one thing that I've said uh, that uh, people seem to appreciate is thinking outside of the box can be great. Getting new outside fresh perspectives can be great. But thinking outside of the box is most useful when you know where the boundaries of the box are and why they're there. Just yeah. go entering a room where there's a box and just saying, what about that way over there without knowing anything about what's in the box is not likely to help. You are randomly guessing. A lot of this, this has been described, I think it may have been by Richard Feynman or somebody like that, uh, or Feynman, somebody like that, mm-hmm. that uh, what a lot of people are doing is basically the equivalent of approaching a locksmith trying to open a combination lock and saying, have you tried 24? <laughs> you wouldn't do that because it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. You don't have access to all the information. You know that that person knows more about this than you. Your input is not required at this time. Mm-hmm. But that's what people do with with expert conservation biologists, with expert fisheries managers. I just had a, a baffling conversation about this just an hour ago on social media. That it, it happens several times a day. Mm-hmm. That someone that what I've often joked uh, when I, I I train scientists all over the world how to use social media for public science engagement. And I often joke that Twitter is amazing because it allows anyone in the world to find an expert in any topic they can think of and tell them why they're wrong. <laughs> Just people approach me out of nowhere and like, yeah, you have this PhD and 40 publications in shark science, but like, have you considered this obviously wrong information that I just made up? Okay. Uh, it is a, it's not boring out there. Yeah. I've, um, I am not nearly as active on social media and science advocacy as you are, but I have had people do that with me is, Hey, cool. I see you do fish stuff. And what do you think about this thing? Um, you can tell now some of it, I don't mind. There are, um, people that have a background in biology or fisheries ecology, you know, and they're just trying to figure some things out and they genuinely want my advice. That is totally acceptable. Um, but then I have people that will contact me just like you and say, Hey, you know, I thought about this thing. Um, what do you think about that? And, and then I, when I tell them what I think about it, they get really, really mad. (laughs) And they're they're like, well, how dare you, how dare you defy me? And I'm like, what? But you asked. You asked me, and you, you think that I know me. the things. <laughs> yeah, right. It's it's very frustrating because I don't want to discourage people. I'm right. so excited that people care and that they want to help. But again, wanting to help is not the same thing as helping. Mm-hmm. You can do a lot of harm. You can do a lot of harm if you just start mucking about in sensitive spaces that you don't know anything about. And do you, and you have any examples that you can think of of a person doing something like that where it's act, where it's actively tearing down beyond just social media? In Florida, where I did my PhD, we recently, uh, based on a lot of work that I did, as well as others, got the fishing rules for sharks changed in a way that will protect endangered hammerheads uh, that were being killed by uh, unscrupulous anglers. And it took years of diplomacy and reaching out and I was working with an entirely 100% uh, Republican uh, Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission. They were all Rick Scott appointees, so very conserv- politically conservative people. And I was trying to frame this argument in ways that would resonate with them without compromising the science. And then people just start coming. They heard about the issue and just start coming in and bombarding these, these public meetings with like, if you kill sharks, you're a monster. Save the ocean. Go vegan. Like, hmm. That's not what's going to convince these. And, they, and then these people say they're helping. Mm-hmm. Uh, the a lot of this happens in the proverbial smoke-filled back rooms. A lot of this happens due to personal relationships over time, not just science, not just facts, but that matters. Mm-hmm. And then people that come in and just make a stink uh, for the sake of getting attention are not helping. And they don't often they don't care if they help. They just want to be visibly seen as doing something that they can say was helpful. Ah, yeah. Oh, the, so they, they can feel good about being somewhere and not necessarily. Or, some ca- or in some cases, yeah. fundraise. Oh, oh God. <laughs> yeah, I could see that too. Well, that's really depressing. <laughs> um, were the rules changed? Did, did you yes. prevail even though? All we did. Of, okay. Uh, and in partially because I was able to laugh at those people with some of these conservative Republicans. Mm. That's not me. I'm not, I don't know who those people are. Mm-hmm. That's not me. And we laugh together. Uh, but that's, <laughs> so uh, th- there are, uh, yes, the short answer is yes. And I actually have a case study on that whole experience. 
uh, with the goal of helping early career educators to influence early career researchers to influence policy uh, that just got accepted this morning in the journal Conservation Science and Practice that I'll be sharing in the next few weeks. Oh, but awesome. yes, that was a really cool experience as a graduate student to get to help shape policy change, to document the science behind what was needed, reach out to different stakeholder groups about what they thought was feasible or acceptable, uh, and to really write some of the laws. And so at that point, when you were helping write laws and dealing with some of the misinformed, uh, helping, quote unquote, protesters, um, is that what sparked you to really go on um, social media and fight the misinformation? Or was that? I, I had been doing that already. At oh, okay. This point. Uh, so one thing I'm very lucky about that a lot of my uh, science communication colleagues did not benefit from is there has already been widespread acceptance in the shark world that public engagement matters. Mm -hmm. uh, my, some of my physicist friends have told me that they've been screamed at by their department chairs for why are you going and speaking to this school about a career in physics? That's not what we pay you for. We, in the shark world, we've largely decided, yes, this is good. It matters that we talk. Mm -hmm. uh, and people have been doing that for decades before I was born. Uh, I was one of the first to do this on such a large scale online, but the general principle behind it is not uh, so I, I was already doing this and was able to take advantage of my platform to help provide pressure. Great. So um, if some folks wanted to get involved, what um, do you have any institutions or, or websites or something that you want to plug that they could go check out? And I can put those up on the um, podcast, too, when we publish them. Yeah, it depends on what you mean by involved. Uh, okay. There are is as Amer if if you're if a person listening is a U.S. citizen, then one of the most effective things they can do is write it, submit formal public comments for or against proposed federal regulations, which is really technical and boring, but it matters. There are people signed these ridiculous petitionsite.org petitions that the government just totally ignores and is legally entitled to do so. But if the same people would take five minutes and submit a comment through the Federal Register, then NOAA and the EPA and these other groups are legally required to respond to it. Uh, and then the, some of these petitions that can't possibly accomplish anything, uh, some of my favorites call uh, for the state of Florida to ban shark finning, we did in 1993. Uh, <laughs> those petitions got 200,000 signatures and then the median number of public comments submitted on shark conservation things is zero through the federal federal register. And so you're talking about things like the change change.org and some of those yeah, petitions nonsense. that That's are just largely nonsense. Largely. Yeah. But it makes um, you feel really good. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. If you're talking about raising, if you're talking about personal behavior, things that can make a difference, the biggest things yeah. that I recommend for people to do are eat sustainable seafood and don't eat unsustainable seafood and tell your friends about that without being a jerk. <laughs> uh, it helps when yeah. you're not a jerk. <laughs> it helps when you're not a jerk. Uh, my my wife is not is uh, not a marine biologist, but uh, regularly asks me before we go out to dinner with visiting work colleagues, "Is this someone who's going to care if I order the tuna?" Has uh, to get briefed on things like that. <laughs> the, uh, in general, things that won't help sharks specifically, but will help the ocean: reduce your carbon footprint, use less single-use plastic, things like that. Are, are, those are not really shark-specific problems, but good for the ocean. Uh, I wish this wasn't the case, but at the moment, one of the best things you can do to support ocean conservation is support Democratic candidates for office. That didn't used to be the case. I hope it won't always be the case. The ocean has long had bipartisan consensus behind it, but it doesn't currently, and that scares me. Uh, if you're talking about who should you donate to, uh, my go-to shark conservation nonprofit is called Shark Advocates International. Uh, they are a, a small one-person operation, and they're doing a lot of great work that no one else is doing. And because it's a small operation, donations really go a long way. Uh, yeah, and, the, and don't spread nonsense on social media. So speaking, if you're not sure if it's nonsense, check. With an expert. Yay. So mm -hmm. one of the things you mentioned is things we can do, but I also know that you happen to write a little blog about it at some point is the straw issue of single use oh, plastics. Yes. yes. So would you want to comment on that for the fans? Sure. So this issue of banning plastic straws really came to a head a few, a couple of years ago when a picture of a sea turtle with a straw stuck up its nose, obviously in great discomfort 
uh, went viral and people said, we need to ban straws. And people that had long been concerned about the impacts of ocean plastic tried to control this rising tide of anti-straw advocacy and say, you know what, there's actually a lot of plastic pollution issues. It's not just straws. If you want to use straws as a gateway issue to start thinking about how you interact with plastics and how plastics interact with the ocean, that's great. But it's not just straws. That got out of hand really quickly. A lot of this turned into these municipal level or state level straw bans uh, that don't address any of the much larger and much easier to address sources of plastic. And a big issue with this is there are absolutely human beings who will die if they don't have access to plastic drinking straws. There are people with certain medical conditions that they need a straw and the available substitutes don't work. And I, it destroys me seeing environmental activists saying no one needs a plastic straw. That's not true. There are people who do. People with MS, for example, uh, and a lot of similar neuro, neuromuscular conditions. Uh, a hard straw, uh, like a metal one, will break their jaw. Uh, a, a, another material straw will just crumble. It's not flexible enough. There may in the future be an acceptable alternative. But for now, you're, you're, taking, you're doing not the biggest conservation issue, treating as if it is the biggest conservation issue, and in the process causing harm to some of the people in our society who don't need extra harm caused by them or caused to them. Right. And I think that is a really great point that the um, sometimes the majority overlooks the minority, right? Well, this yes. doesn't affect me, so yes. I'm going to support it. Yep. Um, and then when the minority does come out, because I've seen this say, hey, you know, I actually need that. I That's a thing that I need. Um, instead of either. listening, they do the same thing they do to us is just oh, well, you don't really need that or just, oh, bring your own or be more yeah. responsible or change who you are. And it's uh, it's yes. pretty unbelievable that that's the Have reaction. You consider when not we... having a life-threatening disability, that would, be, that would make your life easier. My right. God. Or just don't point it out to me because it makes me uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah, you get both of those reactions. And um, I think that shuts down the dialogue which is the which is the worst part because there probably is a solution that would benefit everybody. Sure. But if you're going to talk about it in black and white like that, then you're never going to get there. So, and you yep. shut down the people that have the problem with that, then you will never understand what the full issue is. So, yep. Okay. Um. So I guess my next few questions. Um. Do you have any plans for the future, like the immediate future or the long term? Do you have any goals that you really want to see? I'm in, in the process of looking for faculty positions at the moment. Uh, in the meantime, I'm very much enjoying my time in Washington, D.C. I'm learning a lot about uh, how environmental policy gets made and how science influences that. That'll benefit me in the future, and hopefully I can pass that on to colleagues and students. Uh, Stuff that I would like to work on includes some emerging shark conservation issues in the U.S. and around the world. I'm going to be organizing a group of European colleagues later this summer at the International Marine Conservation Congress uh, to talk about, I guess, a horizon scan of emerging uh, European conservation issues for sharks, skates, and raids. Uh, that'll be a really cool project. I'm, I'm working on some stuff with some threatened species in Florida with some PhD classmates. Uh, I'm teaching a class. If any of your listeners are interested in learning more about ocean science communication, I'm teaching a class about that specifically in March and again in June. Where we'll be teaching the class and living on a research vessel in Miami. And during the day, you, they'll get to participate in some of my shark research. We'll get to participate in coral restoration research. Uh, and then we'll also learn about how to communicate that stuff to non-expert audiences. Uh, so... Um, and I'm about to start teaching a distance learning course through Arizona State, where, my, where I'm a postdoc, uh, but intro to marine biology for non-majors. That should be a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, it sounds like you uh, keep yourself pretty busy. And I'm writing a book. Yes. Oh, well, no busy. pressure. Yeah. <laughs> what can we ask what, what the book's about? Can you tell us? The book is about, it's sort of a non-expert guide to shark conservation and a case for why we should protect sharks. Awesome. Popular science, not te not textbook. All right. Well, um, do you have any parting remarks for our fans before we close this up? Uh, just that I am very active on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It's at Why Sharks Matter, all one word. And uh, always happy to talk about sharks and answer people's questions. 
All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the Fish Nerds. I will make sure that I post all of your social media handles on the, um, the links when we post the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Doc. Appreciate your shark info on there. So that's it. You've listened to a whole bunch of fish nerds when you should have been fishing. Big fat thanks to Staples Connect for letting us make a show here at the uh, at their new studios in uh, Mass- Somerville. Somerville, Massachusetts. I'm so confused. <laughs> Thank you, Matthew Passy, the podcast consultant. A lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah, helping us uh, break this new studio in. I saw you fixing the microphone while we were recording earlier. Just a sketch. (laughs) (laughs) Steven Meter from Podcast New Hampshire. Thank you so much. Absolutely. You guys want to say your websites one more time? Sure. It's just thepodcastconsultant.com. Podcastnh.com. And you can find all the New Hampshire shows on there, including the Fish Nerds. And thanks, Doc Martin and the Crappy Hippie and everybody else for listening. So until next time... Follow the code of the fish nerds. Spawn early and often. Never trust a free lunch with strings attached. And swim against the current every chance you get. Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast. Just for the halibut. Fried in a basket or broiled in a pan. Eat it raw like you're in Siam. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast.